the Depths of Grace series through the book of Jonah, uh, these four chapters of just the prophet Jonah and his experience with God's grace and reaction to God's grace uh, and how he handles those things, um, mostly um, in the wrong way, as we've read. Uh, last week, we talked about how we are saved by grace, that grace is a work of God. It's not a work of ourselves. It's only something that God can do, and that grace changes our minds and actions. This idea of conviction, of repentance, um, once our minds are convinced of something, we believe something, we act on what we believe, and so we saw uh, people believing the Word of God and turning from their evil ways, and so their lives were changed as their hearts and minds were changed. Um, and it said that grace commissions us, that it doesn't uh, just save us to kind of restart and choose our own path, uh, but that we're called out to God's purposes, saved for His purposes, uh, and what He's called us to do. Today, uh, we're going to talk about how we take grace for granted, how we take grace for granted. Uh, to bring us up to speed, um, kind of briefly, Jonah was commissioned in chapter 1 to arise and go to Nineveh and call out against them. He did arise, but he fled from God and his mission. God sent a storm to draw him back. He was thrown overboard in an attempt to escape his mission and life altogether. As I see it, Jonah was trying to end everything, uh, not uh, um, assuming that God would save him or send a rescue. But God sent a big fish to preserve him, from which he called out to God. And so he prays to God from the belly of the fish. And he spit back out on the land. He finally goes to Nineveh, proclaims judgment against them in a very brief sermon, just saying, God's going to destroy you. And the Ninevites believed God and repented of their evil. And God relented of his destruction that he had planned for them. And that brings us to chapter 4. So the Ninevites have just turned from their evil, and God relents of the destruction that he had planned. And now we see Jonah's response. So this is Jonah chapter 4, starting in verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh? that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. So Jonah doesn't seem to be very happy about all those Ninevites being spared God's destruction. In fact, he says it was exceedingly, he was exceedingly displeased uh, 
Literally, it was exceedingly evil to him. What God did to save, to relent from uh, the disaster and the, the condemnation and the judgment uh, appeared to Jonah as exceedingly evil. It's an interesting uh, way to describe that. But the term evil is used throughout the book of Jonah to describe wickedness or harm, this kind of wickedness, evil destruction. It kind of is used uh, interchangeably um, throughout the book. And now we see Jonah. Uh, it's describing Jonah's feelings about the Ninevites, right? First, the people of Nineveh are described as evil by God. Jonah is to call out against their evil or their disaster in chapter 1, verse 2. So God threatens evil quote-unquote, or disaster against them. The people repent of their evil in chapter 3, verse 8, and God relents of the evil or disaster that he had planned for them. Same word in chapter 3, verse 10. He said he would do to them evil or disaster, and he relents from that. And now God's mercy toward them is a great evil or disaster to Jonah. And so the author uses this same word to kind of go back and forth and show uh, the wickedness, the relenting, the disaster, the feeling, the anger. <clears throat> Notice, though, throughout chapters 1 through 4, the only people turning, the only person not turning from evil or disaster is Jonah. We see the Ninevites repent of their evil. We see God relenting of the disaster he has planned. And so uh, even the sailors, right, repent of their evil ways when they trust in the God over the seas and the land and um, are threatened. Well, why is uh, Jonah not relenting of his evil, or repenting of his disaster? This is our first point. It's because we take grace for granted. Um, we try to be managers of God's grace. We try to be managers of God's grace. Why is Jonah upset? Because he wanted the Ninevites to be destroyed. They're an enemy of his people. They're exceedingly evil in the sight of the Lord and in the sight of others. And so he thinks they deserve judgment, and they did deserve judgment, and so he thinks they should just be judged. They should be destroyed. He tried to avoid his mission, he says, because he knew God was gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He says it as if it's a bad thing. This is God's description of himself in a really holy moment between God and Moses back in Exodus 34. David also quotes this characteristic or description in Psalm 103, but this is what unfolded in Exodus 34. This is verses 5 through 9. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. For it is a stiff-necked people and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. So Jonah is referencing this amazing encounter between Moses and Yahweh where the presence of God is manifested in a cloud. And Moses bows and worships in response to God's mercy and grace towards the nation of Israel. But Jonah refers to this mercy and grace and patience, which God is showing his people, as a bad thing. Worse yet, a great disaster or evil, as he sees it. 
Jonah, who was called on to be a messenger of God's grace, shows resentment at not being a manager of God's grace. And before we think, how dare he? Who does Jonah think he is? Let's take a look in the mirror, right? Let's remember the times we were upset that God seemed to forgive someone that we wanted judged or someone who we thought was evil was prospering in the world when we were ready to condemn someone that could still be redeemed. It's natural for us to long for justice and to feel upset when we think justice or judgment is delayed or withheld, but we're not called to be managers of God's grace. We are not the steward of God's favor, deciding who gets to experience redemption and who doesn't. We, like Jonah, are called to proclaim it, to extend the grace of God by pointing people to new life in Jesus just as he extended grace to us. Far too often, we try to assume the role of manager instead of staying in our lane as messengers. This usually happens because we've lost sight of the amazing grace God has shown us. But really, longing to be a manager of God's grace instead of a messenger of God's grace is a symptom manifesting itself because it's a symptom of a deeper conviction. And the deeper conviction is our second point. We feel entitled to God's grace. We want to be managers of God's grace because we feel entitled to God's grace. This is a really common phenomenon for believers. We grow so accustomed to God's grace, we take it for granted, we experience his blessings, and we don't recognize that he is the giver of all these good gifts and worship him for those things. We convince ourselves we actually deserve God's grace. And if we believe that we deserve God's grace, then we'll be upset when others who we don't think deserve God's grace get to receive God's grace, just like Jonah. Not only do we get mad when others receive grace, we have the audacity to get mad at God when we think he's shortchanging us on grace or favor. Look at Jonah here in chapter 4. The Lord appointed a plant, just like God appointed the wind and he appointed the great fish. We see the sovereignty of God throughout the book of Jonah. The Lord appointed a plant, and Jonah was exceedingly glad about the plant. This seems right so far. God is in control. He appoints a plant. It's favor upon Jonah. Jonah is glad because of that. Things are going well. But then God appointed a worm to eat the plant and wind and sunshine, which caused Jonah discomfort. And then Jonah wishes he were dead, telling God as much. And God asks Jonah if he does well to be angry. And Jonah says, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. He's outraged that the plant... He didn't do anything to bring about, has only lasted for a short time. As if he deserved the shade it provided, or to be able to enjoy it for a longer time than God had appointed. The plant that didn't even exist, right, before he set up shop there to watch over the city. This is the epitome of entitlement. We see this play out all the time, especially here in the U.S., a small example of this, and this wasn't even uh, that egregious, but it, I was thinking entitlement thoughts when we went on this trip the other day. Um, Dairy Queen had free cone day the other day on March 20th. Uh, one free small vanilla cone per person while supplies last, right? So that's, that's the offer, pretty straightforward, plain and simple. Uh, so we thought it would be fun, end of spring break treat for our kiddos. So we loaded up the van, we headed to DQ, uh, and on the way there, I kept reminding them that we were getting small vanilla cones. That's it. So no blizzards? No, a small vanilla cone. 
Can we get the strawberry flavor or sprinkles? No. The only thing that's free is a small vanilla cone. That's what we're getting. We pull into the parking lot. I want to get one of those slushes. No, you can't get a, a slush. You can get a small vanilla cone or nothing. You don't have to get anything, or you can get a small vanilla cone. Oh, look, they have churro-dipped cones. No, that's not part of the deal. You can get a small vanilla cone or not get anything at all. We're not getting dipped cones. The deal set forth by DQ was met with varying degrees of contempt from our children. Uh, and again, that wasn't egregious. They weren't like throwing big fits, but they just were like, we want more than what you're offering us. Uh, and so I reminded them, guys, we're getting free ice cream that you didn't even know was on the table until about 30 minutes ago when me and mom said, hey, guess what? We can go get free ice cream cones. And now this free gift, this free offer is not good enough. Well, can I add this or can I get this or can I change this? No. Just skipping right over the fact that this amazing grace has fallen in your lap, a free ice cream cone. A side note, which was kind of funny, is when I pulled around and ordered, I said, hey, I need seven of those free ice cream cones. And she answered some random product. And I said, no, 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 the, the free ice cream cone, one free ice cream cone. No, I need seven of them. Are there seven people in your car? There are seven people in my car. Uh, I don't know, she, I guess, doesn't get a lot of vans full of people, but <clears throat> the idea that the offer set forth that we didn't even know about and has been presented to us is not good enough. This is entitlement, right? This is a picture of how Jonah is treating the shade plant and how we often treat the grace of God as well. I hear what you're offering, God. I hear what you're saying, but I was thinking maybe we could do a little better than that. Are you sure all I can get is forgiveness, pardon for my sin, eternal life with you, and every spiritual blessing available in Jesus? Don't you think you should throw in some earthly prosperity or uh, maybe just some favor towards my goals in life or just the absence of difficulty or trial or tribulation? It sounds crazy when we word it that way, but this is the attitude that we often adopt and the attitude we see Jonah displaying here in chapter 4. Our entitlement, it's crazy enough on its own, but it's really crazy in light of the fact that our final point this morning is God is good to remind us of his grace. If God wasn't reminding us of, of his grace all the time, then maybe, maybe we could say, oh yes, I just lost sight of his grace and so I feel entitled or I feel this, but he's sending reminders all the time, day by day, moment by moment, all around us. Good, God is good to remind us of his grace. Remember how there are a number of recurring themes in the text of Jonah, the, the hurling of things, the instruments in God's hands are hurled. And so the wind is hurled, the luggage is hurled, Jonah is hurled. And so we see these recurring th uh, terms or themes uh, throughout the book. The mention of evil or disaster, as we talked about today, uh, to describe the Ninevites, God's plans of destruction, the feeling Jonah feels at their salvation, it's all evil or disaster. The repetition of things or phrases that God uses to remind Jonah of God's sovereignty and calling on his life. Remember the initial commissioning God gave Jonah, arise, go, call out. There's a repeat of this phrasing from the captain of the ship when he wakes up Jonah during the storm. He says, arise, call out to your God. Almost the exact same phrasing that God has commissioned Jonah with. And I believe this is a grace of God to remind Jonah to jar his thinking, to kind of shake him out of this, 
um, rebellion and to remind him that you are on a mission that God has called you to, or you're supposed to be on a mission that God has called you to, using the same phrasing that God did to commission him. Arise, go, call out. The captain says, arise, go, call out. And I'm sure those words started ringing in Jonah's head. This mission he's trying so hard to avoid and ignore, and God brings it right back to the forefront with the same phrasing. After the fish spits out Jonah, the same calling is repeated by God again. In chapter 3, verse 2, arise, go, call out. Here in chapter 4, in response to Jonah's anger, God asks him in verse 4, do you do well to be angry? We don't see Jonah's response the first time he asks. And God kind of creates this object lesson to kind of teach Jonah a lesson and uh, hopefully get him to realize some things, to highlight the entitlement that he is feeling. Whereas someone like Job, when tested, could say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And Job went through extreme, extreme testing, extreme loss. And he said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. We don't see that attitude in Jonah. And that's just a shade plant that gets removed from his life. Jonah responds with anger. And God lovingly reminds him with the same question in verse 9 that he asked in verse 4. Do you do well to be angry? God is pointing out to Jonah that, no, you have no right to be angry because grace is a work of God. It's unmerited. It's unsolicited. And Jonah digs his heels in further. Yes, I just have right to be angry, angry enough to die, he says. God tries to show Jonah how crazy he is for wishing an entire city would have been destroyed and condemned rather than saved. You pity a plant, God says, that existed for a day that you didn't plant or water or anything, and yet you don't pity a city of 120,000 people who are far from God, lost and dead in their sin, and also much cattle. God keeps mentioning the cattle. There's much cattle there as well. God has been good to remind Jonah of the grace he's been shown and of the mission to which he's called him. Think about God's reminders of grace in your life, the things that he's placed in your life, the things he's done. We've been singing about it today. You've done great things for me. I know you'll continue to, to do great things for me because you are a good, good God. You've shown us such amazing grace. What has God repeated to you or shown you throughout your life to get your attention maybe or to realign you with the calling that he's placed on you? Sometimes we tend to grow impatient with his reminders, wondering why God seems to keep teaching us the same things over and over again. Like, I think I've had the patience lesson enough, God, or whatever it might be in your life. But God knows better than we do. And so if we keep getting the same lesson, it's because we need it. Legend has it that a church member once asked Martin Luther, why do you preach the gospel to us week after week? And Luther replied, because week after week you forget it. We never graduate from the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. It's the power of God for our sanctification as well. The grace that saved us sustains us. Jonah lost sight of this, and he rebelled against this, even as God lovingly sent him reminders to ring in his mind the calling on his life, the grace he had been shown. The same issue shows up in the New Testament when Peter asks Jesus, how many times do I need to forgive someone? And Jesus tells a parable of an unforgiving servant who owed a king about 20 years' worth of wages but pleaded with the king to show him mercy. 
And the king did show him mercy, forgiving his 20 years' worth of debt. But then that forgiven servant went and confronted a fellow servant who owed him just a day's wages. That servant pleaded for forgiveness, but he did not grant forgiveness. And word got back to the king that the man who owed him 20 years' worth of wages and had it forgiven would not forgive another man one day's wages of debt. So the king then rescinds his forgiveness and punishes the first servant. Jesus told this parable to remind his followers of the grace they've been shown and should in turn show others. And the the amount of grace that God has shown us, he's trying to paint this picture of you have been shown so much, almost immeasurable grace in God forgiving your sin. How can you not show grace to those around you who have not offended or sinned against you in such a great capacity as you have sinned against God. Again, look, look at your life for the reminders of God's grace all around you. It's not so that we can feel superior to others, right, as we see in Scripture, that we thank God that I'm not like those people. That's not why we want to remember the grace of God or celebrate the grace of God in our lives. But more of there but for the grace of God go I type of mentality, humbled by the grace of God. God is good to remind us of his amazing grace. Let's take note of those reminders. Let's try to notice them and and, uh, record them and count those blessings. Praise God for his loving kindness. Don't take it for granted and don't give in to the temptation to withhold it from others or to act like we've earned it. As Jonah could quote that God was slow to anger and full of loving kindness and this, this moment of holiness way back from God and Moses, which is a reminder of God's grace for the people of Israel. And Jonah remembers it, but twists it to say, that's a bad thing, that you are uh, slow to anger and full of patience and loving kindness and gentle and with, with hold of wrath. And he throws it back in God's face like it's a bad thing. Let's not fall into that temptation. Rather, let it be true of us with regard to God's grace, what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So you have been blessed to be a blessing so that people worship God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. The goal, the end result is always worship of God, more worshipers for the Lord. These words from Paul explain what we see throughout the Bible and what God is showing Jonah in chapter 4, that we are blessed to be a blessing, and our blessing and the blessing of others is all for the glory of God. Grace abounds to us so that we may abound in good works, and we are enriched so that we might be generous, so that thanksgiving to God or worship is the product. God's grace towards us is not just about grace toward us but so that it overflows in our lives and leads others to worship God. God's grace toward Jonah was not just about saving Jonah. 
Jonah was shown mercy and grace so that he could serve as a messenger of God's mercy and grace to others, and more sinners would turn to God. This is the very mission of Missio Dei, enjoying and extending the grace of God. We've not been saved to simply enjoy the grace of God. That's a bonus that we get to enjoy the grace of God. We've been saved to then extend the grace of God to others so that worship might increase and more people would glorify God. May it be true in my life, may it be true in your life, may it be true in our church. Let's pray. God, thank you uh, yet again for your amazing grace towards us. Thank you, thank you, God, that you are merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, That's a good thing, God. You are that towards us. You are that towards other sinners. Your patience is immense. God, may we not uh, be angry at the fact that you uh, give others um, who who are far from you more time to turn to you. May that be our first thought, God, that when we see wickedness or evil, done to us or others. Yes, there's a sense of, of, of uh, righteous indignation, of, of, of holy discontent, of, of justice that needs to be served. But God, let it also turn into uh, the fact that those are sinners who need a Savior. God, may we long for justice as you are just, but God, may we also long for uh, forgiveness as you are forgiving that you are the one who will judge or justify. We are called to proclaim the good news. God, you have showered your grace upon us. I pray, God, that uh, if we are tempted to feel entitled to your grace, if we're tempted to try to to manage it, to withhold it, to, to count it out or measure it out, God, that you would be quick to remind us that is not our role, that you are the one who gives freely according to your will. That, God, we are to just point people to you. Help us to see the grace in our lives, and not just the saving grace of Jesus and what he's done, but that is an amazing, amazing, life-changing, transforming event that we should not lose sight of. But God, the grace upon grace that you show us day by day, moment by moment. That we could look around us, look in our own lives, and see your grace, your favor. And God, may it lead to thanksgiving or worship. As we read this morning, God, you bless us to be a blessing. You bless us to equip us for every good work that we might show others and bless others that in turn they might worship you as well. Lord, we long to see you worshiped. We long to see you turn uh, wicked, evil disaster into thanksgiving and celebration because of the grace that you've shown. Let us be a part of that, God. Let us be a part of that. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.